you probably know, may, may not know, I don't know, if you're on Instagram, Redeemer has um, an Instagram uh, account. Now, Amy is the one who usually updates it. She does a cracking job. Um, lots of posts go up there, lots of interest in what's going on. But the great thing is I can access it as well. And that means I can follow people or organizations that I want to follow. And it's brilliant because I can be a bit geeky and a bit nerdy. Uh, and on Instagram, I can follow kind of things that I wouldn't personally want to admit that I follow. But Redeemer is my cover. So um, I started following some odd things. Last week, I started following Secret London Underground. And uh, you get all these quirky pictures and facts about the London Underground that you wouldn't normally uh, find just walking uh, about. But they did show this picture, be on the screen. Uh, it's one of those boards at the Underground Station. They kind of give updates and that kind of thing. And, and it said this. Just in case nobody has told you how special you are today, we thought we would. You are special. Yes, we mean you. Keep being you. Now, at one level, there's something absolutely right about that, isn't there? As you're walking to work, you, that's a fantastic thing to be able to read. Human beings are incredible. We're made in the image of God. We are special. And we're all different. With our own quirks and personalities and interests and gifts. And that in itself is a beautiful thing. You are special. You keep being you. But that is kind of where the world gets to, isn't it? It wants to affirm us in who we are. We just need to be more ourselves, and then we'll be better. But then, the thing is, isn't that so often the problem in our life? It is me being me. But when things go wrong in our communities, or in our marriages, or our families, or our friendships, why do they go wrong? It's me being me. It's my pride being my pride. It's my envy being my envy. It's my insecurities being my insecurities. And so at some level, don't we need someone to say to us, you, stop being you. At some level, we need to hear that, don't we? That's something that the Lord is going to say to us this morning. Now, last week, we saw that Jacob is on the run from his family home. He's left this trail of broken relationships behind him with anger and hatred and pain because of the way that he treated his father and his brother. And as he flees, he encounters the Lord. That's what we saw last week. And there's a kind of sense of hope encountering the Lord. It might change Jacob. But even after that encounter, there is a problem. Jacob is still Jacob. Let's think about that in our first point. Change is slow. So have a look at verse 1. Then <clears throat> Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, then this story, as Laura read it earlier on, this story should sound familiar to you. A couple of chapters back, back in chapter 24, we read about another man in search of a wife, the servant of Abraham looking for a wife for Isaac. He also went to the same place, to Haran where Jacob himself has gone. He also met a woman at the well who was tending to her flock, just like Rachel tending to her father's sheep in this story. 
He also was overcome by joy when he realized that that woman was a relative and perfect for marriage. Just like Jacob when he saw Rachel. And the servant was also greeted by Laban, just like Jacob is. See, there's so much similar between the two stories in 24 and chapter 29. But actually, it's not the similarities that are of interest. It is the differences. Those, those are what reveal that the punchline of this story. So back in chapter 24, as soon as the servant arrives at the well, listen to what he does. It'll be on the screen. The servant made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. He prays to the Lord. He seeks the Lord's help. It's a beautiful attitude, isn't it? Lord, I need your help with this. I I don't know what to do with my future. Lord, I I need your help. I've got some exams to sit. Lord, I'm going to pray. I need your help. Lord, Father, help me today. Show me kindness. That's the attitude of the servant. Before the servant goes any further, he stops and he prays, Lord, I need your help. What does Jacob do? He jumps straight in. Verse 4. Jacob asked the shepherds, my brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. He said to them, do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him. Then Jacob asked them, is he well? Yes, he is, they said, and here comes his daughter Rachel with the sheep. See, Jacob jumps straight in. In Jacob's mind, he's got this. He knows how to make this situation work for him. He talks to the shepherds. He finds the information out that he needs. Rachel is Laban's daughter, the perfect woman to be his wife. And now she's coming towards him. So Jacob begins scheming. Verse 7. Look, Jacob's talking to the other shepherds around him. Look, the sun is still high. It's not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. Do you see what he's saying? I need some space. Why don't you guys go and get to work? Give me some space. Let me talk to Rachel on my own. Now, Jacob has this incredible self-confidence, doesn't he? I just need a little bit of time, me and Rachel. Uh, I've got a few lines. That's all it's going to take. It's like Joey from Friends. How are you doing? You know, like just that one line and that that will seal it. But unfortunately, his plan doesn't work. To get that space on his own with Rachel, verse 8, we can't, the shepherds replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well, then we will water the sheep. Those shepherds aren't going anywhere. It's a big stone, it's covering the well, it's a huge stone, it's going to take three, four, five shepherds to move it, so they're going to stay and wait. And as Jacob is thinking over his next kind of scheme, his next plan to get Rachel on his own, she arrives and he sees her, verse 9. And I think something explodes inside him. He suddenly goes all kind of incredible hulk. And look what he does, verse 10. When the Lord saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, He went over and rolled the stone away, this stone that needed three or four shepherds to move it, from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Now, is this kind of supernatural strength? 
Is this the Lord? Or actually, is this the kind of thing that comes over a man when he falls in love with a woman? Some of us know this kind of feeling, don't we? We, we men, we, we do stuff when we fall in love. We, we do stuff when we want to impress someone. So I remember this one time with, with Laura. We were at university. We were, we were dating at that stage. And, and I said to Laura, Look, why don't you come and watch me play, play football? Played football for one of the university teams. She never usually came. But, but this one time, she came. And, and I looked over just as we were kicking off, and there she was. And, and you know, something, something came over me. That this desire to impress her, this, this kind of newfound energy, this new skill, running around, controlling the game, even scored. For, for me, it, it was a superhuman effort that, that never really happened again. But, but I tell you, at one point, I looked over as I was playing this game of my life, um, and do you know what Laura's doing? She's reading a book. <laughs> reading a book, wasted, utterly wasted. Jacob is trying to impress Rachel. And interestingly, it's not just Rachel that he's trying to impress. Rachel's father, Laban, gets a big mention in these verses. So listen again to verse 10. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Rachel is the daughter of Laban. The sheep are Laban's. He waters Laban's sheep. It's not just Rachel that he is trying to impress. It's his uncle as well. Because you remember, he has fled with nothing. He has nothing with him. If he's going to survive the next few months and years, he's not only going to need a wife, but he's going to need the support of Laban too. See, my superhuman effort had no impact on Laura, but it worked for Jacob. Have a look at verse 11. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah, so she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard this news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him into his home, and there Jacob told him all these things. And Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. This is success. He finds the girl He secures a home for himself. It is a success for Jacob. But there's something missing, isn't there? Let me take you back to chapter 24, this very similar episode. When the servant found a wife for Isaac, listen to what he said. Be on the screen again. Then the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on this journey to the house of my master's relatives. He bows down and worships. He recognizes that all of his good fortune was from the Lord. What does Jacob say? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. He doesn't recognize the Lord's involvement at all. He, but but was, it, you know, was it chance that he stumbled across this well? What, was it chance that he met these shepherds who knew who Laban was? Was it chance that he was there at the exact time that Rachel was coming to the well? Was it chance that there was a stone and a, and a chance to impress those around him? Was it chance that his well, uncle would welcome him so warmly? None of that was chance. It was all of the Lord. But at no point does Jacob stop and thank him. In Jacob's mind, Jacob did this. 
Jacob found the girl. Jacob secured a home for himself. And so you see, the Jacob of verses 1 to 14 is no different to the Jacob of chapters 25 to 27. He may have encountered the Lord, but he is still self-reliant, scheming, independent, grasping, and manipulating. Jacob is still Jacob. And that's a problem. It's a problem because not only is his conduct so dishonoring to God, the Lord worked all of that for him and Jacob takes the credit for himself. But it's also a problem because Jacob being Jacob has left this trail of devastation and chaos behind him. His manipulation of his brother Esau means that his brother now wants to kill him. His scheming and trickery means his father is furious with him. His self-reliance means his mother will never see him again. And if Jacob doesn't change, if Jacob is still Jacob, then the devastation and damage and ruined lives are just going to keep happening. You be you, we say. Keep being you, we say. But that is the problem, isn't it? Me being me. My anger keeps being my anger and it drives people away. My insecurity keeps being my insecurity and it makes me envious and distrustful of others. My unforgiving heart keeps being my unforgiving heart and it makes me bitter and proud. Jacob is still Jacob and that is a problem. And what is true for Jacob is true for us. Change is slow. Many of us here have encountered the Lord, but change is slow. And so secondly, we need to see this as well. The Lord will change us. The Lord will change us. Now, at first, everything continues to go well for Jacob. He stays with Laban and Rachel for a month. He's got a roof over his head, food on the table, and Rachel, the love of his life alongside him. And then Laban says, verse 15, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? T tell me, Jacob, what, what should your wages be? Now, this kind of, to start with, looks super kind of Laban, doesn't it? Jacob, just because you're family, I, I don't want to exploit you. Let, let me pay you for what you're doing. And maybe Laban is being generous, but as you go through the story, that doesn't fit with the Laban we come to, to know. Instead, perhaps what he's doing is tweaking the relationship. Jacob is now going to be an employee. Laban has new power over Jacob that he didn't have before. Jacob, the master schemer, doesn't spot what's going on here. And so without hesitation, he says, brilliant, let's do that. And then they discuss his wages, verse 16. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder one was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Okay, so there are two daughters. Rachel has an older sister called Leah, and we're told that she has weak eyes. That's not exactly clear what weak eyes means. Could be some kind of disfigurement of the eyes. I don't think it's kind of short-sightedness. I don't think it's talking about people with glasses. But it, but it could be some kind of disfigurement of the eyes. 
Or, or it could be some, actually something quite positive. It could be some character trait. So, so weak elsewhere means gentle and soft and tender. All those are good things. Whatever the issue is, though, with Leah's eyes, Jacob only has eyes for Rachel. And so, Jacob says, I'll work seven years for her. Rachel will be my wages. Now, quick aside, I, I realize it, it does sound, doesn't it, like Rachel is being treated like a, a kind of a piece of property here. But I don't think that's what's going on. You see, you've got to remember in that culture, if a daughter marries, she would leave the family home, and that would mean a cost to the family. They would lose a helper, a worker, someone to con- contribute to, to, to the household. So Jacob working for Rachel is Jacob compensating Laban and his family for the loss that they will experience when Rachel leaves and, and marries Jacob. And Jacob himself certainly doesn't see Rachel as a piece of property. He loves her deeply, verse 20. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Jacob is is utterly smitten with Rachel. Seven years seemed like just a few days. It's, It's really beautiful, isn't it? But I want to say it's tragic as well. Because like with Isaac and Rebecca before, this relationship, this marriage, it starts with such love and such joy. Rachel and Jacob besotted with each other, but it ends with coercion and manipulation and distrust. We've seen this kind of thing with every significant marriage so far in the Old Testament. Adam and Eve. Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Rachel. And it almost seems inevitable, doesn't it? Falling in love, that's the easy part. Staying in love, that's impossible. But I just want to say this. I want to just, a little aside, it does not have to be this way. If this, what's going on here and what we're going to see happen next week, sounds like your marriage that it started so well and yet it seems like it's going in the wrong direction. From joy to despair, it does not have to be that way. And I just say, please get help. Chat to me, chat to one of the other elders, or, or, or look for help elsewhere, but it does not have to be this way with your marriage. It starts with joy, and it could end with joy as well. So seven years go by, and Jacob asks for Rachel to be his wife. That, that was the deal. But then comes the shock, verse 22. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. Okay, so... Laban sets this whole thing up. Before he hands Rachel over, there's a feast. There's a lot of drinking, a lot of eating. By the time that Rachel comes to Jacob, it is dark, it is at night. They're in the tent. Jacob has probably had a lot to drink. And those words, when morning came, there was Leah. They're devastating, aren't they? 
Look what Jacob says, verse 25. What is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Do you hear the despair and the disbelief in his voice? Laban, why did you do this to me? And Laban's response is so cutting if you have ears to hear. Verse 26. It is not our custom to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older daughter. Okay, if you've been following the story, do you hear what Laban is saying to Jacob? Jacob, you may have cheated your older brother out of his birthright, but in our culture, we don't cheat the older sibling out of their birthright. Now, at that point, it must have dawned on Jacob, Laban has done to me what I did to my own family. He has schemed me like I schemed them. Just as Jacob manipulated and tricked his older brother out of what was rightly his, so Laban manipulated and tricked Jacob to ensure that the older daughter got what was rightly hers, marriage. And just as Jacob tricked his father Isaac by using the darkness of Isaac's blindness, do you remember that? So Jacob is tricked in the darkness of the tent at night. And just as Jacob was called deceiver in chapter 27, so he cries out to Laban, why have you deceived me? The trickster is tricked. He worked for Rachel and he got Leah. Do you remember Esau longing for that meaty stew? Jacob tricked him and gave him lentils. And if he wants Rachel, Jacob will need to work for another seven years. The deceiver is deceived. So what's going on here? Why does, why does God let Jacob get a taste of his own medicine? Some options, aren't there? It could just be rough justice. The Lord saw the way Jacob messed up other people's lives, and so as an act of justice, the Lord messes up Jacob's life. It's rough justice. Maybe it is that. Or perhaps it is the Lord teaching us that there are natural consequences to our actions. And I think that is definitely true. Our actions have consequences. It's part of the way the Lord has set up his world. If we cheat and lie, it shouldn't surprise us that other people will cheat us and lie to us. And that is still true even if we're Christians. We may know the joy of forgiveness. We may know that our sin will no longer be condemned because of Christ, but there are still consequences to our sin. Someone who's been addicted to pornography, yes, they're forgiven. Yes, they might have broken the addiction, but there are still consequences. The images won't leave their head. The impact of those images, that those images have on their personality and the way they view others, that, that's going to take a lot of time to undo. Or a pastor who mis mistreats his church, who bullies those under his care, they might be forgiven, but there are still consequences. They can't remain pastor. See, the Lord is teaching us about consequences, but it's more than that. Why does the Lord let Jacob experience a taste of his own medicine? 
because he wants to change Jacob. You see, God comes towards us. We thought about this last week. God comes towards us when we are at our worst. It was while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It was when we were in the kingdom of darkness that Christ went to the cross for us. It's when our hearts were hard and full of self-love and pride that Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath for us. He saves us. He pours his love out upon us when we are at our worst. But he does not leave us that way. And I know you've probably thought about this before, and you've probably heard it before, but we really need to come to terms with this as, as Christians. And even if you're not a Christian, but thinking about it, the Lord will change us. There's a Bruno Mars song called Just the Way You Are. And in the chorus, he sings to the girl he loves, you're amazing, just the way you are. Of course, at one level, it's true. Whoever you're singing about is amazing, just the way they are. But, but, but at a deeper level, it is not true, is it? The Lord does not sing that song over us. You're amazing, just the way you are. He, he doesn't say to us, you, just keep being you. I know this is probably one of the most offensive things we could say in our culture today. But there is poison in our hearts. A poison that if it's not dealt with will destroy us and it will destroy others. So, so the last thing my family needs is for me to keep being me. The last thing this church needs is for me to keep being me. The last thing my friends need, the last thing I want is for me to keep being me. What they need, what I need is for the poison in my heart to be sucked out and replaced more and more with the love of God. That is what God is doing in the life of Jacob. And that is what God is doing in our lives as well. And that process of change will probably happen through some of the most painful moments in our lives. I mean, think what it was like for Jacob. The Lord allowed Jacob, the trickster and manipulator, to experience what it was like to be tricked and manipulated. He, he had to work a further seven years before he could leave. That is a long time to be able to reflect on how damaging a life of manipulation and deception is. The Lord gave Jacob time to think. And it might be, mightn't it? That the Lord allows us to suffer at the hands of others. An overcritical boss, a short-tempered friend, a disinterested parent, or even worse. It might be that the Lord allows us, like he did for Jacob, to suffer at the hands of others. And of course, we should cry out to the Lord for relief. Of course, we should gently confront those who are in error, but also ask yourself this. If you find yourself in that situation, is the Lord trying to teach me something about myself, about my own sin? Is the Lord using this to suck the poison out of my own heart? And if you go through an experience like that, Set your heart and your mind on things above, on Jesus Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God. And think of his character, his love, 
and kindness and patience and gentleness and self-control and humility. And as you suffer, pray, Father, through this, make me more like Christ. Because it may just be that that is the Father's intention for you. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to think that the Lord would let that happen to us. But it is because he loves us. That poison would kill us and it would destroy others as well. So the Lord will do what it takes to suck it out. You being you, me being me, Jacob being Jacob. That's the problem. And the Lord loves us so much that he will do what it takes to change us so it become more like his son, Jesus. Moment of quiet, and I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, what we have just considered that you might even use those painful moments in our lives, allow us to go through those painful moments to shape us and change us. Father, that is hard to hear. We pray that you would keep our eyes on Christ and the cross, that we would remember whatever you allow to happen to us comes from a heart of unimaginable love, we pray, gracious God, that you would help us to be humble in those situations. Certainly help us to look for help where we need help, to rebuke those who are mistreating us, to look for relief. But also, Lord, may we see where you might be changing us. Fill our hearts, not with that poison of self-love, but with the likeness of Christ and a love for him and a love for others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.